0: the in-house communicator is a professional within an organization responsible for any number of activities from internal and external communications marketing media relations and probably many other things as well it's a unique role with unique responsibilities unique opportunities And challenges. In this mini-series on Copper State of Mind, we're going to hear from a number of in-house communicators who are going to share with us a bit about their work, their challenges, when they work with outside agencies, what that entails, and essentially tapping into the expertise of this unique group of professional communicators. As always, our host for this podcast is Abby Fink, Vice President and General Manager of HMA Public Relations, a firm that has worked with many companies here in Arizona. Abby, what's on your mind?
1: Well, you know, Adrian, when we started this podcast, um, you know, a little over a year ago, it was all about, you know, the things that we were doing as an agency and the kind of some of the challenges and things that we are brought in to work with, and and the different types of clients that we work with, and we've had a really good conversations about what those things look like. And it 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 struck me that so much of what we've been talking about is sort of my view looking in. And with a conversation I was having recently with a colleague about, um, you know, what it might look like from inside looking out. And so I thought it might be fun to do this little mini series and bring in some colleagues in the community that do this work, but do it from an internal perspective. So joining me today on the podcast is Lori Munn. And Lori is the director of marketing and communications at Mercy Care, which is a local nonprofit Medicaid managed care health plan that serves about a half a million people here in Arizona. And Lori's responsible for all aspects of um, Mercy Cares Communications. Um, and she's been doing it for a long time. So she and I met, goodness, probably 25, maybe longer years ago, um, back when she was working in television. She spent about nine years um, in the newsroom and then transitioned that position into um, both her own consulting firm and in-house primarily in the healthcare space. So I am thrilled uh, to have Lori join us today to talk a little bit more about, you know, the role of an in-house marketing communications professional and really what it means when they seek outside counsel and strategic um, communication support from outside of their internal communications team. So Lori, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Abby. I that was a lovely introduction. I was thinking about when we first met and I want to say it was it was either 1989 or 1990. And so yeah, we've we've been friends a long time. We
1: were just children.
2: Just yes. just mere yes, children. So I was 23 actually. I can remember that. So yes, we were infants. And
1: our careers have have intermixed over the years and and certainly we
2: can talk about
1: really the changes that have been happening in in the media market and and what we were doing as young communications professionals, both you know me as a public relations practitioner, you inside in the in the newsroom, but really, you know how those those two roles have evolved, but we still are very dependent upon um, our colleagues in the newsroom to do to do the work that we're doing, but maybe how we do it and how we structure. Um, the roles that we play has certainly um, grown and advanced. So, if you could just to kind of get us started, share a little bit about um, you know your experiences and that that transition time pr- uh, between taking the role of the news producer and and looking at making that transition into uh, public relations and communications and and your own your own consulting business and then what you've done you know internally in the uh, in the healthcare space.
2: When I was getting out of television news, it was the late 90s, I had a baby um, who was 18 or 19 months old at the time. And after I had worked on, you know, some breaking news things that required overnight work or weekend work, because, you know, news breaks when it breaks, it doesn't worry about family hours or anything like that. And it was it was difficult with a, a small child. And so I made the very easy decision to move on to something else. And so I went went to work at um, St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center for a couple of years as the public information officer there. And it was kind of a natural transition because my job was to work with the media primarily, although I did do internal communication work there at that time. And um it was it was a really wonderful place to work it still is a great place to work and i i didn't stay there too terribly long however because then i had another baby and pretty soon when you have two kids in daycare and i think most people can really appreciate this now at at a certain point you're working to, to pay the babysitter and that's what happened to me so i i had a good network of people who Still remembered me from my work in television and had trust in me from a ethical perspective and and you know a writing perspective and all of those things and so I was able to create a freelance business of my own that I ran for seven years and I supported all kinds of clients I had I had law firm clients and uh, healthcare clients. Um, the I, there was an Arabian horse show that was one of my clients. I mean, I and and that was when websites were just coming into, let's say, vogue. Even though, and and I don't think people really realized at the time what a critical tool it was going to become. But I did a lot of early web work and and things like that. And and it was fun. It allowed me to be available to my children. And then when they both got old enough and both went to school, then I went back into corporate corporate communications. And so I've been in my current with my current company for 16 years doing a variety of different things.
1: So the the transition from, um, you know, the the newsroom to a public relations practitioner, communications practitioner made sense in that, you know, a, a lot of the, the skills were similar. We might've delivered the service in a slightly different way, but good writing skills, organizational skills and such, and and kind of understanding what what is news was important, obviously in the newsroom, but is certainly what we look at on a regular basis when we are working with um, with our clients. But Creating a communications team or working within a communications team where everyone involved is, you know, has the same mission and the same focus, maybe coming at it from slightly different perspectives is a little bit different in-house than it would be in an agency like ours. So talk a little bit in, in about sort of the structure and, and what it looks like and what kinds of roles do individuals play um, typically, if there is a typical um, in an in-house communications and then, you know, segue that a bit into what types of things um, maybe early on in the area that you were, you know, looking to outsource and then what you're doing now from a more strategic perspective, bringing in creative services to assist with what you're doing.
2: How our team is structured and the communications team at Mercy Care is, I'm, I'm a director, I have four direct reports. And so one of our Uh, managers is responsible for our digital assets, our website, our social media presence, um, content updates. We're replatforming our website right now, so she's leading that, managing the translation of the websites. It's It's a big job. It's a heavy lift. And then I have someone who is responsible for internal communication to our 1,100 employees, as well as member what we call member communication she does a lot of work on communicating with members who are Mercy Care members so it's it's things like you know flu shot mailers and you know different collateral pieces or social media content or or something like that that will impact members um, we also have someone who does we we ha- with a half a million members that's a lot of communicating that's required and so we have a couple of folks that actually do that. And then I have a third person who assists with public relations and media relations and sort of building strategy around, like, if we have a new contract that's implementing, she she has been learning the, the ropes around leading how you do that and how you interact with stakeholders in those service areas and things like that. So um, it, there is never a dull moment in in healthcare and in healthcare communications. And I think that's one of the things I've always really enjoyed about it is there's, it's a dynamic, interesting industry that there's just always something new to learn.
1: And probably still a 24-7 environment, maybe not quite as um, what it was like during in the television days, but certainly healthcare is a, is a 24-7 mm-hmm. business. It is. That's a lot of work to support with just four people. And and recognizing that you've got a lot of audiences that are, you know, looking to you to support, you know, whether that's the internal communications, the employees, those people that work for you, the people that are your members or those that are that utilize your services, your partners in the community. That's an awful lot of different bosses, if you will, different clients that are, you know, demanding of your time how do you divide and conquer in terms of you know prioritizing and and what and when do those kinds of projects get mapped out throughout the day and throughout the you know the the time that as they're coming to you how do you make that all work
2: well I, it may not surprise you cuz you've known me a long time but i am a compulsive planner i really really believe in planning and and as much as much as you can plan because obviously if you you know things happen things change something comes up and and you know your plan for the day can be out the window by 9 30 right but if you in, in my mind having a plan is it frees you because it allows you to have the structure you need even if you need to pivot and so I start planning for next year in October sometimes September So that we have a feel for, okay, here's what's coming up. This is what our capacity is going to look like. And these are the things that I know about. So for example, last fall when I was planning for this year, we knew that we were going to have a new um, expanded regional behavioral health agreement that was going to take us into Pinal and Gila counties. That's going to go live October 1st of this year. And so let's back into that timing to be able to say, okay, we need to do community outreach sessions and community information and listening sessions and working with providers to make sure that they understand what's changing so that they can tell their patients who are our members. Um, so, So we do a lot of planning and sort of making sure that let's allocate in the right places. Are there areas where we'll need additional budgetary support, for example, or will there you know, do we have the staff to handle this without, you know, having people working 90 hour weeks? Because I absolutely will not request that of my employees. And so how do we, how do we balance that bandwidth and that workload in planning what, what is going to, first of all, meet the needs of the people we serve, our members and, and our providers, but then meet the needs of the organization, allow us to make good on the things that we have promised to do. And take care of our staff and do a good job. I, and and one of the things I think I'm proudest of in the work we do at Mercy Care is we do a very good job at communicating with our members and providers, with our stakeholders. You know, we have a good media presence, people know what we're doing. And so I I feel really good about that.
0: Lori, one of the most Fundamental concepts in our work, regardless of where we sit, is that we're trying to get the right message to the right audience through the right channel at the right time in order to produce some outcome, some meaningful action on people's parts. If you could just give us a a little bit of a broad strokes overview. As you've talked about the communications internally, the communications with members, the broader media landscape, what are the channels you find yourself most actively using? And and how are you designing campaigns and communications in, in those channels? This is a huge question. Obviously, you could break it down in a lot of detail and take a lot of time. But, you know, everything from email to social to other apps to traditional media, TV, television, radio, whatever, talk a little bit about the channels that you're, currently trying to leverage?
2: Well, I think one of the things that all of us in this industry have become quite adept at handling now is uh, virtual platforms for events, for meetings, for outreach, for, you know, just general communication. And so, you know, we learned a lot a lot of us learned a lot very quickly in the first, I would say, 60 days of the pandemic. That was, you know, when all of us discovered a little platform called Zoom and, oh, this could work. And, oh, but we should probably put a password on that so that people don't hack our meetings. I mean, we, there were quite a few case study examples of, of that. So, we, we learned that, we adapted quickly. Um, but we, we tend to gravitate toward electronic channels more than anything else because that's where people live you know that's where they get information it's on their phones on their device on their tablet and so i try to not put a lot of resources toward mailing if i can avoid it if if there are if there are regulatory requirements that dictate you have to send this then of course we're going to comply with those contractual requirements and we'll we'll mail them but The first thing we look to do is, okay, does it have to be mailed? Can it be handled with a a multi-touch approach of email, text messaging, um, interactive voice response, phone calls, those types of channels? Can we do it via social media? Can it be handled via a portal? Because that's where people are. That's, they, you know, think, think about one of the things that, that I think we've gotten good at doing within the healthcare industry as a whole is thinking about how we use technology personally, and then recognizing that patients, health plan members are no different than we are. So I really want a text message re- reminder that I have an appointment tomorrow at 930. What I don't want is a phone call. Right. So it, it just it depends on what people are have opted in to do or how they like to to receive information. But we, we try to be very thoughtful about meeting people where they are. And so like one of the things that Mercy Care has worked on in collaboration with HMA was a project we did in 2019. The campaign was called Do You Know Matt? And it was about medication assisted treatment treatment medication assisted treatment and we gave it a we gave the the treatment itself a personification name Matt most people think of Matt they think of a of a guy and what we did before we did anything else was we sat down with a group of people who had the the campaign had to do with um, recovery and treatment from opioid use disorder and so we wanted to hear from people who had, dealt with opioid use disorder, had dealt with addiction and recovery. And what what should we say in our messaging to help people understand the importance of this treatment and sort of bust the myths around the treatment? And what shouldn't we say? Because that is just as important. And how do you want to get this information? And how don't you want to get this information? And the, the folks that we pulled together were peer support specialists from different providers around Maricopa County. And they came in and we met with them for a couple of hours. And we asked questions and they gave us phenomenal information. And it's become a best practice for us now. When we when we are going to launch a new campaign, we just build a discovery phase right into our communication plans. And I absolutely insist on it now. I insist on the time to do that because it saves us time and money and resources later on. And it I really, I really believe that it makes it so much more effective. If you can go to the people who are going to be consuming that information, they'll tell you what they want and they don't want. They're just waiting to be asked.
0: Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I used to work internationally for a, a large humanitarian relief organization as a field-based media spokesperson and communications officer. And the 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 number of times that someone from headquarters wanted to issue some statement based on what people at headquarters thought was the, the 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 important messaging versus what our local NGO partners and our beneficiaries, in other words, the actual human beings being affected by the conflict that we were supporting, yes. um, would tell us something completely different. And it was often uh, a fight to try to get the voices of the people. Uh, to actually inform the messaging, because we had very smart, very motivated uh, press officers in the UK who's who were counting their points by how many times they got on BBC or or you know Radio Four or something of that nature, and so they were trying to get the punchy headline that would actually get the news producer to agree t- to feature the story, but oftentimes that was detrimental to our work in the field because we were working under. A, a government that did not want that story told anyway, I won't go into any more details about it, but it's great to hear that a, a a very richly informed messaging campaign starts by actually asking the people or the people who work with the people. How should we talk about this?
1: you're right. and Adrian, I think your point about um you know the 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 headquarters versus the on the ground um, team is a is a great. Um, Rua was going to segue into my my next conversation, which is really about getting the the seat at the table, right? That the communications team, you know, needs to be actively engaged with leadership and with the decision makers and whether that's an external audience or an internal audience, but, you know, bringing in the the implementers of those messages at the point where the decisions are being made is so critically important. And, you know, within an organization as large as Mercy Care, there's multiple divisions and multiple, you know, leadership that, um, you know, potentially needs to weigh in. And, and you know, Lori, what 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 where are you in that structure in terms of, you know, being in those conversations with leadership and and in t- when when a potential communications requirement is needed? where are they bringing you in how are they you know capitalizing on the knowledge and expertise that you you bring not just in a, at the point where it's going to be implemented but really in guiding the strategy around it
2: well we've worked we've worked hard to ensure that people bring us in early and i would say 85 90% of the time we get brought in at the very beginning which is so important When you're talking about bringing, bringing in communication, because at some point, if you're doing something, you're probably going to need to tell people about it, even if it's just the people inside your organization. At some point, you're going to have to tell somebody about it. And the smart time to do that is at the very beginning. And, And I know you've talked about this on this podcast more than once, Abby, because I'm a listener and I have heard you and, and it's hard to stand up and cheer when you're driving your car listening to a podcast. But I have done that on occasion when I have been listening to you while driving because it, it's so important. It What it does is it saves time and money and it makes your communication so much more effective. And and so what I've taught teams of people that I've led over the years has been, we don't need to have the answers. We need to have the questions. The right questions are the gateway to the right answers. As long as you know how to ask them, how to phrase them, and how to probe a little deeper.
0: Laura, you mentioned a specific campaign that you worked on with HMA Public Relations. And I'm curious, as someone who works neither with a PR agency or with a corporate uh, environment, how do you approach that? You have, uh, over the years, worked with lots of different outside providers. And you said something interesting when we were chatting before we pushed record, something about mindset. Is your own mindset ready or right for this? But walk us through a little bit how you now think about when and how to approach the, the, the idea of bringing in outside help for a particular project or campaign?
2: I think if you're looking at potentially going outside, the the first thing you have to look at is, you know, what you have to begin with the end of mind with it, with the end in mind, with apologies to Stephen Covey, you have to begin with the end in mind. Right. And so what, what do you, what do you need to accomplish in this, this project or this initiative? And, in the example that I used earlier, the Do You Know Matt campaign, we needed help with graphic design media buying. We we we're the we were the subject matter experts in terms of, and we had subject matter experts in terms of what is medication-assisted treatment, who are the providers delivering it. But how can we make how can we elevate this to just be more than a flyer, a couple of social media posts? What how can we do that? And when you're trying to, in my case at that time, when you're trying to implement a new contract and do a building move and trying to think what else was going on at that time, but it, it was it was a very busy time at Mercy Care. And I did not have the, I myself did not have the bandwidth to sit down and think about what that could look like. And so to be able to expedite the communications campaign on that, I called Abby. Because first of all, we have a, you know, we have a long friendship. I know Scott Hansen, who is the co-owner, I believe, of HMA. And I knew Scott when we worked together at Channel 5 back in the late, a- late 80s, early 90s. And I know these people well, and I trust them. And so the I called Abby. She had availability. We we got together. We talked about some different things, and and then we started kind of putting those those pieces in place to be able to execute that campaign. And so, you know, to look at why why would I go outside? Well, first of all, it was a bandwidth issue, but then it, we needed that expertise. We needed a wider lens than what we had on our team, and even in our um, in our our subject matter experts. And we wanted to find different ways of reaching people because the message needed to get to people who weren't maybe necessarily Mercy Care members. Maybe there were people who were coming out of uh, incarceration. Maybe they were coming from a different part of the state. And, and so we just needed, we needed fresh ideas and we needed to be able to meet the people who were gonna receive that, that messaging where they were. So that's how that's how we sort of looked at, okay, can can we go outside? I think we, I think we need to go outside and and we did and it was a very successful campaign.
0: You mentioned getting your own mindset right. What does that mean and how can people with perhaps less experience or less connections than you have approach the outside hiring process?
2: So my recommendation for that would be you have to be in the right frame of mind to to recognize that help is needed and that it's a good idea. And so in my mind, it, I had to be, I, this is what I rec- recommend other people to other people be open to change, be open to doing things differently. This is the whole reason you want to people to come in and help you. Right? So we're not going to do this the same way we've always done it. If we're bringing in additional people with additional perspectives, expertise, lived experience, mindsets, all of it. So you have to be open to change. You have to be open to those new ideas. You have to be open to not having all the answers or any answers is really a better approach to it is what I've learned in my career. You know, start with a clean slate. Be okay with not having any answers because if once you can get out of the way, kind of, you know, check your ego at the door as we used to say, then you're going to get such better Collaboration, you know, if the, if you take the pressure off of your team, where they feel like they're, you know, and and we can talk about this too. But I don't want them. I never want my team to feel like we're bringing in extra help because you guys can't do the job. That's not it at all. And we can talk about how to how to build that sort of trust before you even get started. Um, but I, as I mentioned, the questions to me are the far most important thing, and. My favorite questions always start with, what if, because something cool is going to be on the other side of that. There's a, a whole pot, lot of possibility behind the question, what if, and I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, we were implementing a brand new contract for uh, the children who are in the child welfare program. And we really needed to get that message in front of people and the, the, the timing was not uh, fortuitous for this brilliant idea. We are still going to use it, so help me. Um, we. It was just at the beginning of COVID. And so we really wanted to be able to get information in front of families. Here's, how, here's what's changing. So this is for families who are either foster families or kinship families who have taken a child in their family into their home because the parents are unable to care for it. And so this is what this is what you can expect if you now that you've got this new child in t- in your home this is what they need as far as health care behavioral health etc but it's not always easy to get that message to people right if they might have email but if you've got a new little person or three or four little s- people living in your house that weren't living here last week, there's there's a lot to do with with bringing young children into your house. And so, absorbing information from your health plan probably isn't your highest priority if you need to get them enrolled in school, you know, get them a place to sleep, get them food, clothing, and just sort of figure out how you're going to navigate this new phase of your family. So, we were sitting around in a brainstorming session, my team and I, thinking about, okay, how can we get... This messaging to these families who are super busy, um, and you know you may have grandparents who maybe don't have a ton of money, and so you want to be respectful of that, right? And how can we how can we get this information? And so one of one of my team members said, "What if we rented a drive through or drive-in movie theater?" And I said, "You have my attention." What do you mean? What? What do you tell me? What you're thinking? She said, "What if we got a bunch of? We had a bunch of bags together. We rented a drive-in theater. We show a kids' movie, but before that, we work with the theater to give us uh, an opportunity to do a short presentation to the families. They can listen in their vehicles, on their." you know, their stereos, their radios or whatever. We tell them what they need to know. We give them some promotional items. We give them their member handbook. We pay for the popcorn. We pay for the carload of people. We take care of the tickets and then everybody watches, you know, Finding Nemo or whatever, whatever the kids movie of the, of the week was. And what if we did that? And I I was jumping up and down because that sounded like such a fun thing that we could get people to do. Unfortunately, the next week, then the Delta variant sort of exploded in Arizona, and there was no way we were going to bring foster families to a congregate gathering like that. But um, it it was just a great example of what if, and it was only going to cost about three thousand dollars. And if we figured if we could get 300 families in to come and and listen to that type of messaging. It was going to be a great return on that investment. And it would give them a memory that would be fun and uplifting for the kiddos. And so, so help me, we are still going to do this.
0: Yeah, $3,000 doesn't buy you very many seconds on television.
2: Not at all. Not at all. But it's a chance for people to to work with us and meet our staff and recognize that these are these are real people who really want to help. And so I just I thought it was it's my favorite example of, of a what if question that just had all kinds of possibilities and it sounded like such fun.
1: Well, and I think what's so interesting about that is I had, you know, I had asked you about having a seat at the table and being part of the, you know, executive level conversations, but you are mirroring that within your team as well, and and giving, you know, your team the opportunity to explore, and that no idea is a bad idea philosophy. So they're, you know, they're really seeing it in action. You know, the 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 trust and the empowerment to to make decisions. I I loved what you said about. You know, we're not expected to have answers. We're expected to have questions. That's right. And challenge outcomes and be that voice within our organizations to, you know, ask the what ifs and and what happens when and should we maybe consider and and allow the conversations to develop in order to come to solutions, workable solutions that everyone can support and then have the trust to put it back in the hands of those that are, you know, meant to implement what they're doing. And I think, you know, the, the idea here of recognizing the strengths of the people you have working within your team and the, the day-to-day responsibilities that they have and what they're expected to do. And when the time is right and new projects present themselves or, or things that are going to push the team in a direction that may not be where they need to be going at a particular time is a good opportunity to consider bringing in um, additional resources and whether that becomes a long-term, you know, contractual relationship or you bring in, you know, freelancers or other consultants that can do it and having those resources before you need them. Oh, yes. And, you know, even if you aren't ready to make a decision, but having some folks that you can call on and and have, you know, that understand your business and understand how to do it. And, you know, the the. The long-term relationship that you and I have over over time has evolved um, because of that trust level and that we've been able to, you know, work with and work together um, with our our separate teams and then come together with and create a new team to to implement these. And so, you know to me the the lesson coming out of this conversation is really about, you know, recognizing, You know, whether you are a a team of one or a team of 100, there may be times where it makes sense to bring external assistance. And whether that's public relations, graphic design, photography, videography, whatever it might be, bring in those that can assist and improve and empower your team, you know, to do what they need to do with an outside, objective team of people who every day ask the question and help guide the clients to those answers
2: well and the other advantage of doing something like that too abby is the more diverse points of views points of view that you have at the table the wider net you can cast with your communication because somebody if it's an if it's a i lost my train of thought some it, because somebody is going to have an idea that you didn't think of i mean and and at the end of the day i think it's a lot about why what what don't we know like let's find out what we don't know so that we can put that to work for the people that we're trying to get this message to
1: Absolutely. Well, Lori, thank you so much. Um I'm really excited about the 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 conversation that we have and really to contrast you know, what an in-house communications team and and the strategies involved and and you know that ultimate seat at the table is equally as important from an internal communications team as it is for those that are, you know coming in to consult with a lot of questions to help guide our conversations to get to those important answers. So we are in the house with Lori Munn, part of our um, mini series here at Copper State of Mind. Thank you, Abby.